You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see those of you who are new to MCC and several faces that are back this week after having a little illness pass through your house and all the things that happen this time of year. It's just great. It's great to be together. If you haven't done so already, take a minute and fill out that welcome home card. That's important to us to know that you're here. The discoveries that you're making throughout the week and discoveries you make today, you can list some of those on the back as well as things you'd like for us to pray uh, with you for. And also the connections and and opportunities that uh, are there for you. I, I hope that you'll take time to fill that out and you can drop it later with the greeters. Um, Every weekend, we celebrate life change, and uh, last weekend, uh, many of you were here to welcome Hannah Olin uh, into the church family, and let's just welcome her again. And we put their pictures up for you, not to embarrass them, but so that you will plant their face, just like I plant your face in my mind, put their face in your mind, write down their name, look for them in the weeks ahead, and get to know them and encourage them, welcome them into the family. Also, Amy Belcher, who came last weekend as an immersed believer to place her commitment here at this church. We're glad, glad to have you both. Well, grab a Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter. Obviously, it is the Christmas season, and this weekend we continue our series, The Gift of Hope, and there's no better place to look uh, to the account of Christ's arrival than right here in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 26 with a really great encounter between Mary and an angel, and then an encounter that she has with her cousin, Elizabeth, who also has something very special going on in her life. Well, when it comes to this idea of hope, there's a principle that we need to understand as believers, and the principle is this. We can't give what we ourselves haven't yet received. Does that make sense? I brought up just an empty water bottle to represent this. If I were to offer Ben down here a drink of water, but yet I haven't filled up the bottle, I have nothing to give him. And the same thing applies to our life when it comes to love. Jesus, in one of his many encounters with Simon and this woman who came and anointed his feet before he was taken away to be crucified, Remember how she just poured out her love at his feet, but Simon just, he had really nothing to give Jesus. And and that's when Jesus made this point. He said, a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. We can work really hard at it, right? We, We can try our best, but unless we have been filled, we have nothing to Give. John would later record it this way. We love because he first loved us. We have to be filled in order to have something to give. And when it comes to hope, when it comes to hope of, of anything, we have to be filled with hope first. And, and that's what I want to talk with you about this weekend is how that happens and what we should do with that hope once we're filled. Now, in Romans chapter 
15, verse 13, we're reminded of how this works. It's a prayer. It's an encouragement that Paul gives the church. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. And it's this idea that he fills us. True joy comes from him. But it says not only joy, but what? May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. Peace. May he fill you with peace as you what? Trust him. The things that we fill ourselves with require a level of trust. And certainly when it comes to peace, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to to hope. And he says, as we trust him, may he fill us. And then he says that we may overflow, the God of hope fill us with joy and peace, that we may overflow with hope. And the idea that I want to talk to you about today is living in this overflow. To not just be filled, right? But to be overflowing and to live in this overflow of hope. Now, in order to do this, we need to understand where hope comes from. And God is the giver of hope. God is the creator of hope. He's the promise keeper. He's the one to fill us. And in Luke chapter 1, we see this play out firsthand in the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, who is the mother of who? John the Baptist, right? Let's read together in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. I I love the historical accuracy of Scripture. I, I, I love that you can go other places and you can see that these are real people, People who lived and breathed, who lived in these areas, these are real places, real circumstances. And Luke records for us how it all comes down, and he introduces us to the virgin's name as Mary. The angel, the angel of the Lord, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The very first thing the angel's instructed by God to tell Mary is God has chosen you. Can, can you say that with me? Except I want you to uh, replace you with me, right? God has chosen me. Just say that. God has chosen me. He, he's chosen each one of us, and those of us who surrender to him, he fills us. He says, God has chosen you, Mary, and God is with you. And then the next thing that we read there in verse 29, Luke takes, takes no time at all to let us know right away that not only has she received this message, but that she was greatly troubled by this. Notice it's not by the presence of the angel. It doesn't say that she was scared by the angel. She was startled by the angel. But she was greatly troubled at his words by what he Said, And he simply said, congratulations, Mary. God is with you. You've been chosen, right? But being chosen isn't always as thrilling as it sounds. Uh, we understand this as, 
believers that being chosen can bring fear. Fear that what if I have to offer won't be good enough. Fear that what we're being asked to do will, well, it's going to interrupt things. It's going to disrupt our plans, first of all, the things that we plan to do and, the, and, and hope to do, and, and also that fear of what other people are going to think. More than ever, those of us, those of you who are chosen, who are set apart by God, who are living in God's favor, we should stand out, not as some religious lunatic, but we should stand out because we're different in the way that we raise our children. We're different in our language. We're different in the way that we dress. We're different in the way that we show love. We're different in the hope that overflows from us. You know, it's one thing to know that God chose us to have relationship with him. That, that's okay. It's even better to know that he is with us. But it's a complete other thing when we realize the plans he has for our lives. The plans that he has for relationships and, and how those should be. The plans that he has for family, for work, for sharing with others what we have received. If you think about it, it's what troubles us the most. <laughs> that he has expectations. That everything that he's given us, he asks us to give to others, and that involves something. It involves trust. It involves trust. Mary's one and only question after being told in verses 31 to 33, she hadn't received the full load yet when she was greatly troubled, right? In verses 31 to 33, the angel lays it all out for her that she's going to be with child, but it's not Joseph's child. It's not Bubba's child down the street, right? She's very clear about whose child it is. It's God's child. In verse 34, notice her question isn't one of doubt, but it's more of, God, how are you going to accomplish this? I know who I am. I know what I've done, and I know what I've not done. I know what I'm capable of, and God, I, I guess I'm about to see what you're capable of. But she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? There's no doubt there. But there's a legitimate question as to God, how? How are you going to accomplish this? And God's response through the angel in verse 35 is he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Here's the first reality when it comes to what we just read about in Romans about this God of hope filling us with joy and peace that hope will overflow from us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's this, God fills us as we trust him, as we trust him, and we go all in. You see, it's up to you to take the lid off the bottle, to open up your life, to trust him and allow him to pour what he has to give you into you, first of all, which is the Holy Spirit. I, I was reminded of the time, the one time that I played Texas Hold'em with my father-in-law. Some of you remember this story because I told it right away. This was uh, 13, 14 years ago before he passed away. 
But my, my father-in-law, you had to know him to appreciate him. He went by Doc, and Doc asked for a Texas Hold'em table. It's a poker table. It's a special table. It's made just for the game. And he asked for that for Christmas. And so every Sunday afternoon when me and the other brother-in-laws would be over at his house, he would have the poker table out, which, by the way, replaced the dining room table. The dining room table went out of there into another room, and the Texas Hold'em So you can see how important this game was. To him, And so he would have my three other brother-in-laws sit around the table with him. I guess he didn't think the preacher should be playing Texas Hold'em. And so I would sit off to the side and I would watch them play until this particular Sunday when he invited me into the game. I have never played and haven't played since. But I watched, I listened, and he led me through the first several hands. You know, you know how it goes. Everything slows down for Dave. They count their cards out. They, they show their cards. They say, oh, this is what you should do with this card. Listen, I, e even after their good instruction, I had no clue, still don't to this day, the value of the cards. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But what did make sense to me was he taught me how to go all in. I mean, he had the chips and everything. Luckily, I didn't have to give a deposit for the chips. But he taught me how to go all in, and he taught me the concept of bluffing. How to bluff them into believing that I had a winning hand, even though in reality I had no clue as to the value of the hand I was playing. And so right away, you know, we're playing with fake ch poker chips. I start going all in. And one by one, I guess my bluff was pretty good because one by one, I took out my brother-in-law's. And then the last man standing was Doc. And so he and I, we were playing. He shuffled the deck. He laid out the cards. And I went all in right away. And I bluffed him, and he lost the game. <laughs> he lost the game. The man put the table away and never got it out again. <laughs> but my point is... It's easy to go all in when you're playing cards with fake money. And it's easy to bluff our way through a poker game. But it's another thing. It's another thing altogether to go all in when we're talking about trusting God with real life stuff. The stakes are so much higher. The risk seems so much greater. But this, my friends, is exactly what he's asking of Mary. And this is what he's asking of us so that we can be filled with hope. You don't get hope. You don't get filled with peace and joy unless you trust him. Unless you trust him. And this is what he's asking us, that we trust him because it's in trusting him that we experience what it is that we're being asked to give to someone else. For example, for example, we are to trust his forgiveness. And some of us struggle with that because we just can't get forgiveness ourselves and being able to give it to others. And so we just can't see how God could forgive us. And we go through life wondering if our salvation is secure. Friends, he says, trust me. It's secure, but we trust, or we try to trust his forgiveness that it's complete. And then having experienced his forgiveness, we begin to grant others forgiveness. And friends, you can't bluff that. 
But some of us try. We bluff when we say a kind word to people around us, all while harboring resentment and bitterness towards them. We bluff when we open up our wallets on the weekend and we, we, we take out a little bit and we put it in the offering plate pretending like we're giving a tenth. I mean, we're carrying the $3 bill or $3 up here like it's just this big offering. And we're bluffing our way. You'll never understand God's provision when you're bluffing the whole time, right? Surely you've learned this. We bluff when we don't really trust him, but we act like we do. And we will never be filled with hope if we're always bluffing our way through. Because when we bluff, when we bluff, we are far from trusting him. And that's what Mary demonstrates to us here is that she was not a bluffer. She was not the kind of person that bluffed. She knew that what God wanted was of great value. It wasn't like me not understanding the value of those cards. But she understood the value of her future. She understood the value of what God was asking for, that he wanted her reputation that was valuable to her, that God wanted her trust, that he wanted it all. Does God have your trust? Not, not just in a bluffing kind of way on the weekends or in certain circumstances, but, but in all ways. God wants our trust because when he does, he fills us. Paul wrote, I've learned in all circumstances what I can do all things through Christ who what? Who, who fills me, who gives me strength. How did he learn that? By going all in, by not bluffing, by trusting God in the shipwrecks of life, literal shipwrecks, literal beatings, Times of hunger, times of grief, times of loneliness, trials, <laughs> trials when he wanted to or could have very easily just given up. He says, instead, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him. I could see him adding, just like I have. Well, Mary's response to the angel's message in verse 38 is significant to me because of what she says. And I, and I bet like me, you've just glossed over this. It, it sounds like a nice thing to say to God when he asks you something. He says, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. He, here's the thing. When Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant, she meant it because she demonstrated it. She demonstrated to God that she trusts him with everything. I trust your ways. I trust your word that what you've said is true. I trust your promises. And I trust that what you asked of me, you will provide. And there are no conditions. There's no conditions. God, if you do this, then I'll trust you. Or, or God, well, let's, let's see how this plays out. And I'll hang in there as long as I can. No, may it be to me as you have said. I call this the amen of life. You hear people say amen. You hear preachers asking it as if it's a question. Amen? Right? It's like we're so lonely. We need you to say amen back to us. 
But amen, if you just boil it all down to what it means, when we say amen, we're saying, God, may this be just as you have said. May it be as you have said right here in my life. Amen. Right? May it be just as you've said. Here's the second reality of living in the overflow. And that is what we are filled with either leaks out, evaporates, or overflows. Just a moment ago, this was overflowing. It's either evaporated because of all the hot air up here, or it's leaked out. But it's one of the three. It has to go someplace. It never just sits there. In verse 39, after the angel leaves Mary, Mary packs up and she goes to pay a visit to a relative, Elizabeth. You can go back and read about Elizabeth. I gave you a brief intro a minute ago, but her story is in the first part of Luke chapter 1. And if you know the account, it basically goes like this. You can read it later. But there was a, a lady by the name of Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah. Zachariah was a priest. Zachariah was a faithful priest. And for years, this couple had pled with God for a child, or at least she had. And now she was way beyond childbearing years. And one day, Zechariah, it's his turn to go into the temple to do his priestly duties. And while he's in there, remember, an angel of the Lord visits him and says, Hey, Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And he's like, No way. No way. Why? Well, I've only got about three years to live. Why in the world now? Right? I've, I've seen what these others go. I don't want diapers. Elizabeth, she laughs. Here they are, three, six months later, just months after Elizabeth has discovered that she was expecting a child of her own. Verse 40 says, when Mary showed up at Zach and Elizabeth's house, and when she greeted Elizabeth, the baby leaped. John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and in a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. I can remember how strange it was when Sarah was expecting both of our girls. Sarah is relatively short. That leaves a very compact space right here. And so as the, baby's, as the baby grew inside of her, you know how it happens. It gets tight. The little button sticks out that says, I'm almost done. I tried to push it back in. It pops back. You know how it goes. <laughs> but she would be sitting there, and she would move around, and, and then she would have me put my hand there, and I could feel, feel Olivia. I, I could feel Emma kick. Uh, Emma was doing somersaults in there. We didn't know if she was coming out upside down, straight up, what she was going to do. But you could feel it. You could see it. And I love that God, that God chooses to use this reality in this meeting between Mary and Elizabeth to reassure them both of his plans. You see, there are a couple of critical points here, and that is Luke makes it a point to tell us that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's God's presence inside of her. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It's the third part of who God is. It's his spirit. 
It's his presence inside of us. It's why she answered the way she did when John leaped in her womb. Instead of saying, did you see that, Mary? Or Mary, you want to feel this? That'd be the normal response, right? But instead, she gave this message that had to come straight from the mouth of God. Blessed are you, Mary, for you're carrying the Savior of the world. That's basically what she says. And that's the first thing that the Spirit does inside of us is the Spirit reveals all truth. The first thing that he does is is push out all the lies. He pushes out all of the things that other people have told you or or that you see played out in other people's lives that that is sold to you as truth that isn't anything, uh, anything close to the truth. And the very first lie that that the Holy Spirit pushes out there is the lies that had to be running through Mary's head, even though she trusted so much that she would go all in. She had to have these doubts, right? Sure, how's this going on? And Elizabeth, powered by the Holy Spirit, because, see, the Holy Spirit also helps us speak when we're in situations. Not this jibber-jabber that you see role-played in front of people at church that, that tries to elevate the person. But the Holy Spirit helps us speak when we're in situations where God's presence is necessary to be expressed. And this is what we see happening between Mary and Elizabeth. Both women, you see, because of this message, They receive something intentional from God. They receive confirmation. They receive courage to keep trusting. Courage for what would be ahead of both of them. Confirmation that what God said he would do, he was doing, that he was with them. Spirit also teaches and reminds us of what we need to know and remember. He's our comforter. He's our advisor. He's our encourager. He's our strength. He guides us in the way that we should go, Psalm 143 says. And if you look at verses 46 to 56, what's titled Mary's song there, it's her expression. It's her expression. It's the Holy Spirit's expression through her of the great comfort that she's received the encouragement that she's received, the strength that she's received, the direction that she's going. You see, it's the Spirit that fills us. The Spirit that fills us with with all the things of God, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, all, all things that we think we can manufacture on our own. But when the rubber meets the road, we see just how good we are. (laughs) Only God gives us kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. They are the overflow, the fruit of being filled with the Spirit. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are more than sufficiently supplied with hope. Hope. We use the word hope like we do love. (laughs) It's such a watered-down expression, or at least we've made it that way. I sure hope it snows on Christmas Day. 
I sure hope that she still loves me after what a fool I've been. I sure hope. I sure hope. Lord willing in the creek don't rise. I sure hope. I sure hope. But hope is not wishful thinking, friends. Hope is the expectation that God's promises will be fulfilled. That what he says, he will do. That's why trust is so important. That's why he only truly fills us as we trust him. The believer's hope is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Confidence that what God has promised, he will do. It's a hope that continues to be replenished in our lives. And the fact is, is that the more we trust, the more hope overflows. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that what? You may overflow. You may overflow with hope by only one power, and that is the spirit of God that lives inside of you. You see, Romans 15, 13, if anything, is a prayer. It's a blessing that Paul's praying over the church and he's praying over you and me that we trust God more, that we trust what he asks us to do in our marriages, that we trust what he asks us to do in our homes, that we trust what he asks us to do in our finances, that we, he tr we trust what he asks us to do when sickness or disease comes upon us, that we'll seek to be filled by him because what overflows from our lives into others is a direct result of what we're filled with right out of the overflow of the heart. Our lives, our lives speak that we will overflow with hope that what God has promised, it will happen. It's the amen of our lives. This weekend, we celebrate the completion of a 14-week journey that 16 of our students have taken. It's called the FLT, Future Leader Training. And you've heard me mention it before, but for the last 14 weeks, in that back classroom at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, 14 weeks in a row, students have met, 16 students have met to receive leadership training. Some of these are middle schoolers. Some of them are high schoolers. And you, you say, what's leadership matter? My goodness, if there's anything this world needs is Christian leaders today, people who will stand up for the truth. I'm not talking to speak just blatantly against it in a way that upsets people because we're mean and we're angry about it, but a person who will hold their ground when their teacher at a school that you're paying for them to go to says, you can't write about God. They say, no, I'm writing about God. You tell me I can write about this or that, I can write about him. And if you want to give me an F, then you give me an F. That's the kind of leaders we need today. We need preachers in the pulpits that won't shut a building down because we think we control whether someone's healthy or not. Do you see now the results of poor leadership from the top of our country down to us little peon preachers who would not stick to our faith, the things that we have been filled with? Let me tell you, it's a damning feeling to realize what we've done. 
but we need leaders today. And I'm so proud of these students. What have they learned? What have they learned? They have gone back and they have studied God's redemptive plan. What's that have to do with leadership? It has everything to do with leadership because it's at the very core of who we are as Christian people. We need to understand that God has redeemed us, that he has called us, that he has filled us. The origin of leadership, that we're not born leaders. It's a gift of God. It's one of the gifts that's described to us in Corinthians and Romans that are given out by who? By the Holy Spirit. It's up to us to hone it and refine it for others to see it in us and to foster it and, and to help it. And, and that's what, that's what, where's Jake? That loser, he's not in here. <laughs> oh, back row, back row, pitiful Jake. Jake. His first year serving here part-time, Jake's the one who said, hey, why don't we do FLT? Way to go, Jake. Way to go, Jake. And of course, an outstanding leader himself, David was right there to mentor him and show him. And they even brought the old man in once to speak to the students about leadership the way it used to be a long time ago. These students, many of which took a trip to see Johnson Bible College. And boy, it stirred, stirred some hearts because Christian training is so important. Whether you're going into vocational ministry or whether you plan to be a stay-at-home mom or dad, <laughs> Christian training is so important. I'm going to ask these students to quickly make their way up here and as they're doing so, I just want you to continue to applaud them and to encourage them with your applause right now. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> David is, uh, Jake, they're so cool in that they thought of everything. They've got certificates that I hope, kids, that you'll put on your walls as a reminder that God's called you, he's gifted you, he's trained you for leadership. But he also came up with these cords. You know, I was never smart enough to get to wear cords. <laughs> Great reminders. But listen, just like the little crosses we were around our neck, don't you dare tout those cords unless you are going to be a leader. All right? If you're not going to be, then you just might as well go ahead and throw them away. But if you're going to be a leader, you see, over the last 14 weeks while you're going through class, there was that moment that came for every one of you in one way or another where you were put to the test about some of the things that you've learned. Oh, you can't speak about that. That hurts my feelings. Oh, you're going to skip a practice because you've got to be there at that? That's not really important, is it? Hey, if you're not here, if you're not here, you're not going to get to play this weekend. 
choices. And you either stand out and take the lead or you don't. Every leader's tested. Every leader experiences these things. And this weekend, as part of their final lesson, this is their final lesson. They were here late last night. They were right back here at 8 o'clock. And this is their final lesson that they discover this reality. And it's a reality for you and me. And that is the Holy Spirit of God. He is the power for everything about the Christian life. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not us. Oh, we do our part. We do our part by being faithful. We do our part by trusting. We do our part by taking the lid off and letting him fill us and constantly fill us. It's not a once and done because as you can see, it's leaked out. It's evaporated. But in order for it to overflow, you've got to continue to be filled with the Spirit because you want to live in this overflow. People are freaking out. You're like, you're getting the floor wet. It's okay. <laughs> it's just water. It's not as bad as the coffee that you kick over every weekend that some of us have to clean up. But listen. <laughs> Church, these guys, I've asked them to stay because it's so often these days that the younger you are, the more willing you are to take a risk. And the older that we get, the less willing that we are. The younger we are, we're like, oh, yeah, give me a drink of that. Yeah, I, I want to be filled up. Let me overflow. The older we are, sometimes we wake up and it's leaked out. This year, there's been a lot, not just leaking, but there's been a lot of evaporation. <laughs> what happens when the love of your life is gone overnight? What happens when the children that are so beautiful get to a point where they're hopeless, so hopeless, that a thought pops into their mind, that they no longer have the control to surrender, and it leads them down a path that becomes so dark? And that darkness begins to take out the hope that we once held so tightly to. And so this weekend, with them up front, I want to offer you two, two opportunities. One is we all need encouragement. That's why I want you here Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. Bring your families. Listen, there's no greater celebration of Christ than to be together with his family and bring your own with you. He'll give you plenty of time for the presents under the tree. He'll give you plenty of time for the turkey that nobody really wants to eat anyway. <laughs> Fix ham. But be here and be filled, be refilled with hope. And so the opportunity right now for you in a moment is to come and encourage them. Now don't hover up here. Don't give them one of those death hugs where they have to smell your perfume and then go home smelling like you. Hug them for a second, but move on so other people can come along and hug them. But here's the deal. Maybe today, I know there are people today that are in this room who need a refill. Some of you in this room need to be filled for the first time by real hope. 
You need to trust him. And the first way that you trust him is by getting in that pool of water up there to be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit who fills you. But today, maybe you just need a refill that you can overflow again. Not just so you can get through the holidays, but so you can thrive through the holidays because of the peace and the joy of Jesus Christ. I offer you hope. Jesus stood at the end of the street on the greatest day of the festival. And he said, if you are thirsty, you come to me and the water I give you will flow from you like streams of living water flow from you. It's called living in the overflow. If you're not there, come and begin today. Let's stand. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for these students. Thank you for this church. May we respond to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.